0: Amina is an activist during the Arab Spring. Her blog, Gay Girl in Damascus, attracts readers from around the world. When she's mysteriously abducted, her followers mobilize, desperate to save her. What they find shocks them. I'm Samira Moeddin, the host of Gay Girl Gone, a new six-part series from CBC. Listen wherever you get
1: your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Denmark was one of the first countries to lift all of its COVID-19 restrictions earlier this month. The government there says they no longer consider COVID-19 a socially critical disease, and they're learning to live with it. So this week we're asking, what can Canada take away from Denmark's live with COVID approach? Hi, Ray Watt. Welcome back to The Dose. Thank you for having me once again if your travel plans included it how comfortable would you be visiting denmark right now
0: <laughs> i personally would not be i have someone in my life a child under five who's not vaccinated so i'm doing everything i can to uh, reduce his risk of exposure denmark is not a place where one can be assured of exposures being well curtailed
1: i'm certainly going to want to hear all of these good scientific reasons why you feel that way uh, but before we begin, can you give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it.
0: Hi, my name is Rewat Dionandon. I'm an epidemiologist and a professor at the University of Ottawa.
1: Okay, here we go. Rewat, in terms of opening things up, give us the broad strokes of what Denmark has done that makes it stand out from other nations.
0: Denmark has decided that they are done with COVID. They're no longer pursuing an active cajoling and encouraging vaccination strategy. They're no longer requiring people to isolate after being infected. They're encouraging it, not requiring it. And they have removed, I think, all COVID restrictions across the board. So they've accepted that the virus is with them and here to stay. And they think that their high levels of vaccination will preserve their healthcare capacity and societal function overall.
1: Okay, lots to unpack there, but let's start with the thing that stands out immediately. What do we, You said high rates of vaccination. What do we know about Denmark's vaccination rates?
0: I think they've got about 81% have two doses and about 62% have received three doses of the total population. So what do you think of that? It's pretty high. Um, is it high enough? That's a big question. Now, before Omicron, we thought that two doses would be sufficient to quell transmission. And if enough people got two doses, well over 90%, then the Delta variant would be in severe remission, probably approaching herd immunity. Omicron just blows Delta off the table when it comes to contagiousness. And so the threshold for herd immunity is probably unreachable. So 81% means that 81% of people are less likely to fill the hospital beds. 62% boosted means that 62% of people are less likely to transmit. That's impressive, I don't think it's enough um, to put a serious dent in the amount of transmission one would expect.
1: And last week, health authorities there in Denmark said they were considering winding down the country's coronavirus vaccination program this spring. How does that factor into Denmark's unique approach?
0: They're accepting that a certain proportion of people will never receive vaccination which sounds like a bit of surrender in my mind. And it might be true that a certain proportion never will. It doesn't mean you have to stop trying. I mean, the job of public health is to encourage people to adopt the best tools to keep themselves safe. And one should never cease in that endeavor.
1: So they lifted restrictions. They're not investing in vaccines. Based on the data that is available, what do we know about current case counts and hospitalization and death count rates in Denmark since they've opened up?
0: Well, the new cases, to the best of our knowledge, they're about between 40,000 and 50,000 cases per day, which is pretty high, plateauing maybe, but pretty high. So they may be coming down off their peak very soon. The death rates, though, are climbing. They're at about 30 deaths per day. I think, and hospitalizations are also climbing very, very steeply at about uh, 1,300 cases per day um, hospitalized. The ICU capacity seems to be not stretched that thinly, but the hospitalization numbers are uh, interesting, if not concerning. The big question that many ask is, how many of these are cases with COVID, and how many are cases caused by COVID, which is an endless debate. And I've heard some experts suggest that a third are, quote unquote, with COVID incidental cases. I think that's a pointless argument to have because there is no strong delineation between with and caused by. It's possible to have your bad medical situation accelerated and worsened by the presence of COVID. And that's why you're hospitalized. And that wouldn't be captured in the data.
1: So, Ray Watt, we're going to try to be scientifically as pure as we can in this conversation. Um, Denmark did what it did, kind of uh, opened the doors wide open, and now we see that hospitalizations are going up and the death rate is going up. Cause and effect, or is it correlation?
0: Ah, that's a big one. I suspect a lot of it is correlation, but a lot of it is also cause and effect. The problem with disentangling those two things, looking at this level of epidemiological data, is we don't understand how the, the cases were coded. Um, uh, I mean, you're a physician, you understand that if if someone under your care dies, you have to determine what killed them. I have an acquaintance whose 11-year-old child was killed by a drunk driver. That's tragic. But on that child's death certificate, uh, it says they died of uh, cardiac failure. But didn't the car accident actually kill them? It's a similar problem here in, in figuring out what is killing people with COVID. Is it the disease? Is it um, the proximal thing that killed them, that the disease might have accelerated? Or did the disease have nothing to do with it and just happened to test positive? We don't know. But it strikes me that it is unlikely that this rise is due entirely to incidental cases of COVID. The excess mortality rates are high as well, suggesting that something is killing these people and that something is probably going to be the pandemic.
1: Obviously, you weren't in the room when Danish authorities made the decisions that they made, but what's your understanding of why they did it? Hmm, That's a tough
0: one. Uh, My understanding is they've accepted certain realities for their society. They've accepted that the number of people seeking and accepting vaccination has plateaued. They're accepting that uh, they probably won't be getting any better quality vaccines anytime soon, by which I mean vaccines that, can accommodate all future variants. And they've accepted that the demand for an open society is probably greater than concern for unrestricted transmission. They probably have also factored in something to do with economic cost. What is the cost of restraining the pandemic um, versus uh, the benefits of having an open economy? Um, There's a lot that goes into this kind of decision-making. It's not all scientific. Some of it's sociological, some of it is political. I'm fond of saying that public health is the art of the possible, and what is possible is gated by public compliance. So they have decided that their population is responsible enough that they can manage the pandemic at an individual level, not requiring state intervention.
1: In other words, do the right thing without being told to do the right thing by public health authorities? More or less,
0: uh, and to figure out, hey, if, if vaccination is a tool, you should be using it. Um, if the people in your household are vulnerable, then it's your responsibility to protect them. If you want to wear a mask, you can wear a mask, but you don't have to. It sounds very libertarian to my mind. Uh, I think I think the thrust of it is it's downloading responsibility from the state onto the individual, which concerns me.
1: Denmark's decision to open up was followed by other countries. There are several ways to measure if it was a good or bad decision, but do you think it has worked when it comes to bringing things back to normal, whatever that is, of course.
0: Wow, you ask challenging questions. It comes down to what you define as normal, first of all. Uh, I will preface this by saying, I don't think we should be seeking 2019 levels of normal necessarily. 2019 normal is what got us into much of this problem in the first place, by which I mean we have people going to work sick. We have people being disdainful of public health as a whole. I think we should be seeking a kind of normal that prevents future public health tragedies and crises from manifesting in the first place. But the question is, has Denmark succeeded in achieving some semblance of normal? I think they have in the sense that there are people out and about, quote unquote, living their lives, going to parties, going to nightclubs, going to restaurants. Um, On the other hand, they are suffering in the sense that the pandemic numbers are very, very high. Is their healthcare system under stress? It is, but not as much as you might expect, probably because they have greater healthcare capacity than we happen to in Canada. So I think the bottom line is it's too early to know if their strategy is working. I'm very skittish and, and concerned. I look at these exploding numbers and I'm a little scared by them, to be honest, but I'm rooting for them. Uh, I hope it works for them because that's a signpost for the rest of us, but I'm skeptical.
1: Uh, I'm going to ask you to kind of get a bit more granular with 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 the question I've just asked. As an epidemiologist, who are the winners and who are the losers of Denmark's decision to open things up? I
0: think the winners are those who are well vaccinated and are at low risk of a bad outcome. So that's people who've accepted triple doses. Uh, the young, the fit, those who are not immunocompromised, and those without underlying uh, health issues. The losers are going to be the elderly and the very, very young. So there is a a, a dramatic increase in hospitalization of babies. That's concerning. And it's because, of course, that uh, those under uh, a certain age aren't allowed to be vaccinated yet. And the elderly are still put in a difficult position because even if they're triply vaccinated, they still have a higher likelihood of hospitalization and death. So the fringes of the age continuum are being deleteriously put under stress and anybody with a, uh, a preexisting condition, a comorbidity or someone in their life they wish to protect are the losers in this. I'll also add that people without the socioeconomic wherewithal to manage pandemic control individually are the losers in this, which is one of the reasons I'd be skeptical to advocate for the Denmark approach for other countries that have a much less equitable distribution of resources by which I mean primarily uh, primarily the United States and to a large extent Canada. So uh, if you are a low-income person living in a crowded uh, setting who can't isolate, who can't distance, who can't get a high-quality mask, who for a variety of reasons has uh, been slow to accept vaccination, and who can't take time off work because you're sick, you're at an extreme disadvantage in this strategy. I think many people require the oversight and contribution of the state to allow them to benefit from the great uh, advantages offered by public health. Between today's wellness fads and news about tomorrow's medical breakthroughs, it's hard to know what health information actually applies to you. Luckily, there's a podcast that breaks through the noise. TED Health from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts that break down the questions you didn't know you had. Will eating a plant-based diet make you healthier? How does your neighborhood impact your health? How will medical treatments change in the future? Learn all this and more on TED Health. Find TED Health wherever you get your podcasts.
1: So since you've started to talk about Canada, let let me ask you a little bit more about that. What signs are there that, uh, that Canada is heading towards a Denmark reopening?
0: We have many provinces signaling that they wish to remove restrictions soon. Um, Now the Denmark model would state that two things, you remove all restrictions at once and you give up on pushing vaccination. I don't think any provinces here have said those two things, but there is a a strong sense that some, uh, I think Alberta comes to mind, are eager to drop a lot of restrictions very, very soon. In Ontario, uh, I think there is a recent announcement that the vaccine passport system, if I can call it that, will be done away with by March. And this is concerning because you shouldn't be tying calendar dates to decisions that are scientific and epidemiological. These things should be linked to indicators that we can observe objectively in the population that suggest to us that now is an optimal time to be removing certain restrictions. So yeah, um, Canada looks to be bending in that direction.
1: So I have to ask you, would the Danish approach work in Canada? You've already started to say that there are some reasons why you have doubts, but but what's your answer?
0: Well, before I give you a definitive answer, let me explain why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking. First is that Canada is not Denmark we have a provincial healthcare system they have a national one uh, ours is a geographically more diverse country uh, i think we have a more a wider gap between rich and poor more inequities our healthcare capacity is less on a per capita basis than denmark's and in fact in terms of oecd nations canada ranks near the bottom in terms of healthcare capacity so our ability to absorb a large number of hospitalizations is much less while our vaccination rates are high and they are comparable to Denmark's, I think they should be higher. So my answer really is no, I don't think Canada should be going in this way. I don't think it's appropriate to download the responsibility of public health management onto the individual. Eventually, it will be. We'll get there eventually. But to do so all at once while removing restrictions and while giving up on vaccination, while we're still in the midst of a pretty serious wave, uh, strikes me as an unfortunate thing to be considering. We'll get there soon, that's the important part. And we'll get there gradually. It's this all at once approach that worries me. Mitigation tools must be taken off the table one at a time, beginning with the ones that don't give you the biggest bang for your buck and ending with the ones that are still manageable in the long-term. So will it work in Canada? Well, it'll do something in Canada. People will get their lives back They're at a very high unsustainable price, in my opinion. But I think there's a better way to do it while still getting to the same place Denmark will get to, hopefully.
1: I know these are early days in uh, the relaxed uh, measures in Denmark. What can we learn, if anything, from what's going on in Denmark right now?
0: Well, we can learn to expect an extremely high uh, rise in cases and hospitalizations and deaths if we were to take that same path. Um, we will also learn that uh, a large number of people will believe that their life has come back. And for a very large number, it will be true. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that for an important proportion of individuals, they will be untoward suffering. So we have to ask ourselves a values-based question, which is, um, are we the kind of society that wants to take care of that proportion that is going to be uh, suffering unduly? Are we the kind of society that wants our lifestyle back at all costs? This is an important moment in Canadian history. We have to decide upon the nature of our society and the values with which we wish to go forward into this world.
1: Of course, we've been talking about Denmark. Everybody's talking about Denmark because they've relaxed uh, restrictions, but I want to know how all of this fits with evolving thinking about living with COVID instead of getting rid of COVID.
0: that's That's a complicated question. So uh, when we first started talking about endemicity, at least in the media, uh, the belief was that endemic meant that, hey, we'll be living with this uh, disease and we'll get our lives back and uh, it won't be that big a deal. Endemic just means it's with us all the time, but it doesn't tell us at what level it'll be with us. In Denmark, it looks like they're assuming it's already endemic, when it probably isn't. It's still going to be experiencing a, a, fair number of, a, a fair degree of wave-like behavior. But to the extent that it is, quote-unquote, endemic, It is endemic at a very high level, possibly an unsustainable level. So, to my mind, the lesson here is that we want to push the levels of transmission as low as possible, pin it down with vaccination and with some other tools in society, and then accept that as our endemic levels. We want endemicity to be at a point at which we don't have to think about this disease at all and public health can manage it at the fringes. So, we have to accept. Uh, well, you we don't have to do anything, but I encourage us to accept public health measures—not all of them, but many of them—for uh, a little while longer, so we get transmission as low as we can, so that when we take our foot off the brake, we coast at a comfortable speed.
1: So, is Denmark at a level as low as it can get, uh, or <laughs> is it settling, or, or you know, because that—that's the lesson that we're all looking at Denmark yeah. right now.
0: Yeah, I think it's too early to tell, um, but but first first glance, it does not appear to be coasting at a comfortable speed. I could be wrong. We could all be wrong. No one knows for sure. Uh, We know that about 6% of daily cases there are reinfections, which is pretty high. So are they approaching herd immunity with this strategy? I don't know if reinfections are that common. Some statisticians suggest that 5% of the country right now has uh, an active infection, which is pretty high. So if they're going to achieve some level of community immunity, we will see it relatively soon. And that will be a signal to the rest of us that maybe this is achievable. But uh, right now it looks like they are proceeding to my mind at an unsustainable level. But again, I hope I'm wrong. I'm rooting for them.
1: I want to make sure that I understand something as we conclude our conversation. Are you saying that if we do what they're doing right now, uh, in, in Denmark, if we do that in Canada, that we might have a staggering increase in hospitalizations and deaths, that, that society would suddenly say, hey, we don't like this, and it's, and it's <laughs> starting to overwhelm our healthcare system again?
0: Uh, you phrased it well. I, I think that's a strong possibility. Um, I, I get, we, we we have to be careful not to speak uncertainties here. No one knows. But I think there's a fair probability that if we were to do that in Canada, we, we would overwhelm our hospital system. And it's important to remember that Canada does not have the same capacity uh, for healthcare absorption that a lot of European countries have.
1: Something to think about, a lot to think about. Uh, Raywat Dianandan, thank you so much for uh, enlightening us on what's going on in Denmark.
0: My pleasure. You asked difficult questions.
1: And you gave some great answers. That's Raywat Dianandan, an epidemiologist and associate professor at the University of Ottawa. Here's your dose of smart advice. Denmark is leading the way in relaxing COVID restrictions. That approach has given Danes a sense that things are returning to normal, but already Denmark may be seeing the cost in terms of increased cases of COVID, hospitalizations, and deaths. In Canada, the federal government and the provinces are taking steps to relax restrictions here. While vaccination rates in Canada are comparable to those of Denmark, fewer doctors and hospital beds per capita mean Canada has less capacity in our healthcare system to absorb an increased number of cases. In addition, compared to Denmark, Canada's less equitable society means more Canadians are at risk of COVID and its complications once restrictions are relaxed. The safest way to remove restrictions is to do so one at a time and monitor the impact. The overall aim should be to reduce the impact of COVID to the lowest level possible before removing restrictions altogether. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, tweet me at NightShiftMD, at CBC Podcasts, or at CBC White Coat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. Our email address is TheDose at CBC.ca. If you liked this episode, please go to your favourite podcast provider and rate us five stars so more people can find us. This episode of The Dose was produced by Stephanie Dubois. Technical support was by Jennifer Rowley. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your health care provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose.
0: For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.